My name's Tracy Smith. I was born and raised in Kalamazoo, Michigan. In 1998, I attended the South by Southwest Film Festival in Austin, Texas. And at a promotional side event at a local coffee house, I saw a showcase featuring some of the most talented performance poets in the country. Afterwards, I returned home and founded the Kalamazoo Poetry Slam. Now, almost 25 years later, for the sake of history, for the sake of nostalgia, and for some of the incredibly talented people we've lost along the way, I give you, dear listener, the Keizu Poetry Slamcast. This is Slam Later, like the poems are like, you dirty fucking whore. But this is one of the good ones from the beginning. My ears reach in the suburban noise of night. There's a question asked in one naked moment. I am the Smith. I am the poet. I am the Industrial Revolution. No longer bright as fireflies. And the place of finding how wonderful we are, we form the sweet nature of the future and the reasons that we sing. Before we jump into the second half of Reggie's feature, a little bit of slam history. This was recorded just a few months before Reggie moved from Chicago out to the East Coast. Poetry Slam was invented in Chicago in 1986 by a fellow by the name of Mark Smith. No relation. From there, it spread to Ann Arbor, Michigan, New York, Boston, San Francisco, and on and on and on. So the two closest slams to Kalamazoo were the two oldest slams in the country. I like to think that Kalamazoo got its heart from Ann Arbor and its soul from Chicago. But you probably didn't tune in to hear me reminisce and ramble and bullshit. So let's get back to the poetry. Thank you. Make some noise! Holy shit! Woo! One more. One more. One more. One more. Helen, Helen, come on. You got it. One more. Come on. Keep making noise. Come on. Woo! Don't stop doing it. One more. Woo! is a blues man, sitting cross-legged with an axe angle out the lap, loving and reviling us all like flatted thirds pressed against the frets of pain. God is a blues man, what's got life and death strung like strings across the lover's neck, dig him prowling around the alleys of your mind, trying to find infants crying from fear of the night. And now God, who feels it's his man-given right to cop and answer anybody whose head is having a dream about him, ambushed mine one time, taking the shape of a ghost note while cooing fugues of rain from the mouth. A mouth that transformed itself into a dimly lit window, placed eastwards in backwater shacks of sky. A window I creeped to, peeped through, dug myself like Vishnu, sleeping on beds of lotus, dreaming about creations and crossroads etched in my hand. And at that cross in the roads before consciousness shattered this vision to awakening's demand. At that cross in the roads came the man I would be. My humanity began to expand. Now I understand understand that I is the blues man, the blues man is I. I is the scream of all things terrible and the whine of all things trembling. I is the seraph whose wings beat hatred and the demon who smiles redemption. I is the whisper that cushions the broken body in the sepulchre of tumultuous existence. I is the blues man, the blues man is I. I is the blushing flesh of a trembling virgin. I is the hole that blows the dawn. 
I is the throbbing eye of the battered wife wondering why her husband's gone. I is the song of fatherless generations who were sired by the loins of war. I is the coming of the better winged soldier bringing the smashing of heads and culture. I is a white sail blown upon the winds of profit floating on ships made of black severed hands. I is the blues man. The blues man is I. I is the ornament we forge every time we shackle a human freedom. I is an eagle's feather trampled beneath the hooves of final solution. I is the shamed thighs of all raped women demanding the rapist's death as my retribution. I is the blues man, a black boot stepping, goose stepping, stomping down the doors of scapegoats. Blues man, the screaming stream of ash blackening the skies above Bergen Belsen, DeKal, and Auschwitz. Blues man, I is the knife, huh? the wound, huh? the blood that will question soon. Huh? I is the exorcism and the baptism, the missing eye of collective myopia, the elegy of praise buried within the fecundity of this anathema. I is the fingers of dead lovers. Who who still tickle one another beyond the minefields of war-torn lands. I is the blues man. The blues man is I. Bring me the tears of a five-year-old son, wondering if he'll ever fill his daddy's shoes at all. And I'll give you the soft-eyed grin of a father who knows that one day those shoes will grow too small. Sing me the choir of home sung, sung while you're in exile as your feet trod the sod of the stranger. And I'll give you the star that will guide you toward your miraculous births in the manger. I is the knocking. I is the door. I is that voice both harsh and warm. I is that last bit of will your pain cannot kill. That fine thread of life upon life's tapestry of storms. Listen to the jangling discord of my sonata. Hear within its pale blue murmuring this thin cry of hope. Listen to the single flower fighting while sighing its way through the cracks of concrete. And your eyes split wind and cheek death with with this breath called survival. I is the blues man. I is the blues man. I is the blue do 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 blues man, blues man, blues man, the blues man, the blues man. Is it Selon One of the greatest musicians of all time um, is um, a man by the name of James Marshall Hendricks, otherwise known as Jimi Hendrix. Um, and he's a, he's, he's, he's a gentleman who's never been properly eulogized. Um, Buddy Holly got a story. Elvis got too many. Uh, you know shit. 
and um, Jimmy never got not anything. So this is my way of giving respect and uh, life back to a man who's helped me through a whole bunch of hard times. Hope my voice can deal with it. I got a cold. Look at the sky, turn a hellfire red, Lord. Somebody's house is burning down, down, down. Look at the sky, turn a hellfire red, Lord. Somebody's house is burning down. Burn it down, burn it down, burn it all the way down, Jimmy. Make us burn in the flame that became your sound, Jimmy. Grab an old leg by his neck, making him show you your respect. Hoochie man, coochie man, strangle him, hoochie coochie, hoodoo man, wrangle him, voodoo child. Make his steel string sing and ache and bend and break and sin, capitulate and give in to the will of your beautifully blessed fingers, your blessedly beautiful fingers, bewitchingly bleeding, bittersweet, southpaw, serendipitous sighs and strange stratocaster tears, tears that soothed and burned, twisted and turned into steam as they fell and careened toward all hot hellbound souls and rolled back into your gypsy eyes only to fornicate, copulate, become sodomized by the penetration beautiful of sweat, band born acid rain. And the purple haze ran through your brain and drained into the veins of trippers, day trippers, turned acid angel by the gift of little wings from you. And with the aim of your merry crying winds flew, not only above, around, and through crosstown traffic, but above, along, and well beyond the watchtower to a realm where gods were making love to little Miss Strange foxy ladies in little red houses over yonder. And on rainy days would sit back and shoot crap with laughing Sam's dice and boast about who had the most experience. And the muse and bruise of your sadomasochistic blues would ooze through floors and LSD doors, leaving psychedelic relics wrecked on psychedelic shores. Talking about the night the brother got right at his height, rocked Woodstock, played the remade American anthem, and all the flowers in the garden chanting, go ahead, brother, piss off the power structure, brother, say fuck you to the structure, brother, one more time, one last time before it's your last time, brother. Stick and move, hit and run, stick and move, hit and run. Try to get your ass beyond the grip of the grim one. Try to get your ass outside of the sight line of death. Try to get your ass beyond the reach of the reaper by dodging that son of a bitch betwixt the expanse of jangle cacophonous cords and hanging out in shadows, spread it with feedback. Jimmy, the anointed. Jimmy, the Christ. Jimmy. Humanically dressed, maniacally depressed, manifested Messiah, impaled upon the neck of that thing you love the best, your one heart's true burning desire, Jimmy. Christ, forever walking on the waters of a bad trip, turning all of them bad trips into wine, casting your net on the waters of a bad trip just to see what's there for you to find. Jimmy Christ, patron saint of divine distortion. High heel, fuck that distortion, Jimmy. Wide collar, pimp that distortion, Jimmy. Jimmy Christ. Too soon did you force the hands of the minds, but I ain't pissed off gypsy eyes, because right now I'm digging on and copping the fact that you and your homeboy God are somewhere up there in electric ladyland, sipping on celestial moonshine, about the tune axes and cut heads and go toe for toe, blow for blow, lick for lick, stick for stick, but first, right, y'all got to stop and laugh your asses off at that fat-ass slurred mouth country fuck over in the corner with a rhinestone-studded jacket and jacked-up-ass bell-bottoms. <laughs> He's trying to sing lead at the same time he twists his torso to molest an innocent, unaware sheep. Jimmy Christ. Too soon did you force the hands of demise. But I ain't pissed off gypsy eyes because I'm digging and copping the fact that any mother lover living a life like you led deserved to die the death you desired. To die young, to die high, to die stone, to die free, to die young, to die high, to die stone, to die free, to die young, to die high, to die stone, to die free, to die young, to die high, to die stone, to die free.
I just wanted one time, just one time, to stand next to your fire. Peace, y'all. about you guys, but I gotta take a break. <laughs> take a five minute break and we'll come back with a slam, y'all. Woo! <laughs> Judges, we've got seven performers. We got a whole ton of people. We got five, we got seven slammers who really don't like the fact that they have to follow Reggie Gibson. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. All right. Judges, you must score. The po Actually, slammers. Here, I'll start with those guys. You must perform a poem of three minutes or under with no props, no costumes, nothing else, no animals, no weirdness. Weirdness? Weirdness. Well, Phil, you know, Phil breaks the weirdness rule. No, you cannot get naked. No nakedness. Save that for the party. All right, judges, you must score the poem between one, well, zero and ten. Zero being the worst possible heinous piece of shit you have ever seen in your entire life. Or a ten, which would be anything that Reggie Gibson did tonight. Or, or something that just is amazing, out of control, out of this world, automatic, spontaneous audience orgasm. Do not be influenced by the crowd or the performers. Now, you've heard this before. Crowd? Yeah. Well, well, yeah, influenced by the performers, but you know, don't be bribed by them or whatever. All right, uh, crowd, your job is to influence the judges in any way you can. Bribe them, yell at them, scream at them, all that kind of neat stuff. Especially bribe. All right. And Dawn is the scorekeeper. All right, what do we know about our judges? Nothing. Okay, I will. Chris Johnson is a bad mother. Shut your mouth. Le <laughs> Leah says, impress this mother. Right? Is that what you? Yeah, I, you wrote it down. I'm going to say it. Keep reading. Oh, impress this mother and daughter team, which they're not actually a team because they're both judges. And Penelope is a, an instructor in the Kalamazoo schools. John, John, where's John? John says, I own a Barry Manilow record, y'all. Yeah, he's the one. That's the one. So you know how his judging's going to be. All right. And Lou, where's Lou? Let's see it, Lou. Okay, Lou is an advanced chess player. So for all you chess players out there, go see Lou. He'll teach you something or, you know, whatever. All right, we got seven slammers. Seven. Seven. There are seven. Not six. Seven. But before we bring 
the se- each of the seven slammers up, we got to bring up a sacrificial poet. Someone who is going to let the judges kind of calibrate where their judging is going to be. Why do we bring up the, ca- the, the sacrificial poet? Dawn. Dawn. We're going to bring up Dawn, and she's going to come up, and she's going to do her piece. And the judges are going to kind of score it so they get warmed up and get into it and whatever. And then from there, they'll, we'll go on to the rest of the, the slam. So, unless I've forgotten anything, which invariably I do, we're going to bring up Dawn for the sacrificial piece. All right, come on up, Dawn. My grandmother used to jitterbug in the 40s, started brawls over my grandfather in bars with women, worked in a pickle factory and rolled her own cigarettes. She tells me about trips to find the perfect steak, back of a 1942 Harley, California, Grand Canyon, Yellowstone, across the U.S. and back again. And one day, up in the UP, my grandfather turned around, decided not to drive any farther, put the car in reverse, and headed home. No explanation, end of vacation, no more adventures, said goodbye to road trips and gave in to the propaganda of the 50s nuclear family. And I realized that I have no idea what he did past tales of a 20-something couple through the Depression and into the promise of an improved lifestyle with a car and a yard, a tree and a dog. But the dog was a black cat named Salem and the shiny black Grand Prix my grandfather brought home when I was eight outlived him. The tree I spent my childhood climbing died. They ripped it out of the earth. I showed up one day, and it was gone. Like their lives had disappeared somewhere between Charlevoix and the Canadian border that day with my uncles and my mother, folded into the neat little box that held the precious memories, forever frozen black and white photo albums, labeled like specimens, Yellowstone, 1949. My grandmother, a primly dressed woman, clutching her handbag, protecting it from the bears, I suppose. But I remember her, a tiny stick of a woman smoking Salem 100s and drinking Tab. My grandfather yelling from the overstuffed brown corduroy easy chair, is that kid here again? I learned, a pro- I learned an appreciation for Kurt Gibson and had my first taste of beer behind my mother's back. I was five and thought it was terrible. But it was our secret. And since he died, I feel so disconnected when I look around on Thanksgiving. And my family is 600 miles away, and I can't even seem to find leftovers. So it's PBJ and popcorn. Instead of my family, Irish to the end, men men gathered drunkenly around the bar, women sitting chatting and drinking coffee in the dining room. And I miss his smell of Lucky Strikes, Budweiser, and Old Spice because there was a bond with the only man who took the time. And I realized that it doesn't matter that I don't know what happened after that day in the North Woods. He rode a Harley and taught me to wink. And when he looked at me, he must have seen a little bit of a 20-something couple dancing drunk in a hometown bar, living life, knowing that one day I'll probably give in too. And I wonder if it made him sad, silently cheering for the odd grandchild out, black sheep, not to find a boy, settle down, buy a house and stock in GM praying that I won't turn around, that I always wake up in Graceland.
right, judges. What'd you think? Hold them up. We got one, two, three, four, five. We got a 6.8, a 7.8, an 8, an 8.5, and an 8.5 for Don. All right. Applaud the board, not the scores, guys. Come on. I should have told you guys a long time ago, we've got chat books from a few of the poets that you've heard tonight over here on the pool table. So if you're interested in any of them, I'm don't, not sure which ones they are. Did you bring any chat books? Or? Okay, Reggie's got some chat books too, so if you're interested in grabbing some of Reggie's chat books, or if we run out, he can take orders. And uh, I'm going to get one, that's for sure. All right, a 24.3 for Dawn. All right. Clap for the poet, not the score, guys. Come on. All right. Now it's time. Our first poet in the slam is Lindsey Kelly. Come on up, Lindsey. This shit happened to me the last time. I'm fucking first. All right, all right. Shake it off. Whispers of the past, like the wind in my hair, tells me the story of the once wild woman. La Loba and the bones of wolves upon her back trudge to the cave of resurrection. She's built, curved in the middle, shaped like the half moon when all cycles begin, seemingly not all there but always whole. Speaking more to nature with her clicks and low whistles, my heart understands every sound. She carries the bones from death place to death place until the skeleton can be considered whole. And there, surrounded by the cave walls that tell every woman's story, she lights a fire and sings a tune, a song that sets my soul aflame. And the bones start dancing, and they start dancing. And then they take off running, running down the hill and out into the earth. And the bones change, and they break, and they sense the world around them staying the same. And that howling wolf starts to flesh and starts to fur. And then that howling wolf becomes a wild woman. And they're one and the same. She don't never thank La Loba. And she always hears that song that will save her from the boy who hurts and lies and the boy who cries wolf. She is beautiful and proud. She is strong and fierce. She is fertile and therefore will never die. Always singing La Loba's song of the soul. She is there beside you now, within you, woman, waiting for the song that sets her running, running after the fire, that fire that will ignite stronger than romance in the center of her chest that burns long after she is dead. And when her bones are found in a pit outside Phoenix near a well, 
or in the back of a burnout car and the windows shot out near El Paso or discovered by truckers en route to Mexico, you'll know this story is true and begin to listen to your own song. All right. Woo. All right, judges. Give up. We have an 8.8. .8. You don't like that? An 8.0. A 9. A 9.1. And a 9. All right. I forgot to tell you guys before, we take out the high, and we take out the low, and we take the three in the middle, average them, and that's the score. All right, we don't average them, we, we add them. Okay, okay. What do I know? 26.8 for Lindsay. Yeah. Applaud the poor, guys. All right. Next to the stage, we have Dan Stevens. Come on up, Dan. So I'm alone in a room with a guitar and an amp as loud as the devil and clean as the Lord. And I'm playing this riff like a thunderclap hard. And I love it and I need it. And I can't stop until I get it right all the way through just once. And I keep fucking it up and I keep fucking it up and I keep fucking it up. And I can't stop until I get it right all the way through just once. And it hurts like a python wrapped around my forearm. And it hurts like wire whips tearing at my fingertips. And I love it and I need it and I can't stop until I get it right all the way through. So I'm alone in a room with a guitar and an amp as loud as the devil and clean as the Lord and I'm playing this riff like a thunderclap hard and I love it and I need it and I keep fucking it up and I keep fucking it up and I keep fucking it up and I can't stop until I get it right all the way through just once and it hurts like a python wrapped around my forearm and it hurts like wire whips tearing at my fingertips and I love it and I need it and I can't stop until I get it right all the way through just so I'm alone in a room with a guitar and an amp as loud as the devil and clean as the Lord. And I'm playing this riff like a thunderclap hard and I love it and I need it and I keep fucking it up and I keep fucking it up and I keep fucking it up and I can't stop until I get it right all the way through just once. And it hurts like a python wrapped around my forearm and it hurts like wire whips tearing at my fingertips and I love it and I need it and I can't stop until I get it right all the way through just once. So I'm alone in a room with a girl and a problem. As dark as midnight and clear as a song and I'm trying to help like a matador tries and I love her and I need her and I keep fucking it up and I keep fucking it up and I keep fucking it up and I can't stop until I get it right all the way through just once. And it hurts like a daydream running from my memory and it hurts like my vanity pulls me towards insanity and I love her and I need her and I can't stop until I get it right all the way through just once. Practice makes perfect, boy. All right, judges, get them up. We got a 7.0. An 8. An 8.2. An 8.5 and a 9. 
That's low. That's low. You guys are some low judges. Indeed. All right. I forgot to tell you also that we take the top two poets in the first round, and they go on to the second round. A 24.7 for Mr. Stevens. Don't applaud the judges. Applaud the poetry. All right. Next up to the stage, we have Greg Bliss. Come on up, Greg. Buddha 10. Ten smiling Buddhas, I keep them all in a row. Pray to my Buddhas, they never say no. Buddha with a lid off, a Buddha passed in Buddha fast. Buddha reputa, let's do the Buddha what we did to Jesus Christ. Let's give him a channel and raise ten bazillion dollars by next Friday. Because if you don't give us the goddamn fucking money in one week, I'll have received a vision from Buddha himself. That Buddha will strike me dead. Praise Buddha! Buddha Khan, a Buddha Khan, a shake your booty, shake your booty, Buddha Khan. Hey baby, wanna touch my Buddha? Budicino, Barry, Ben and Jerry's, and Jerry Garcia reincarnated as a triple scoop bowl of Budicino waiting for you to slide down Buddha's big blue ice cream ass. Okay, so Buddha, Mary and Jesus, Louis Farrakhan, Judas, and the last surviving members of the original cast of Hair are playing bingo at St. Andrews. Mary shows up late but never leaves. Farrakhan leaves early because there are too many stinking honkies that get up the place. Judas leaves shortly thereafter because Jesus keeps telling him what the next number will be. And if there's one thing he can't stand, it's a cheater. Jesus finally gives up because he's afraid one of his disciples might show up with a sack lunch and everyone else will expect him to cater the event. <laughs> Buddha ends up hanging out with the cast of hair. They smoke a big fat one with Mary who goes on and on about how big God really is and are violently bounced out of the place. Buddha gets the munchies, so they go raid the local Burger King. The whole time Jesus knows what Mary is up to and it really pisses him off. I'll have my Buddha in a light cranberry sauce with the Chateau de Chateau. You've seen one Buddha, you've seen them all. Buddha bowling in a jumpsuit. Buddha skating a half pipe. Buddha wine tasting with assholes who shit golf balls. Buddha at Hooters copping a field. What are they going to do? He's Buddha. <laughs> Buddha at a nude beach laying next to his Buddha bitches. <laughs> There's a Buddha in my head, but it's not me. Buddha in a mosh pit scaring the hell out of skinny punk rockers. Buddha knows when you are sleeping. Buddha knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been transcendental. So self-actualized for Buddha's sake. Uh, Buddha laser tag and his ass kicked. Buddha skydiving, bungee Buddha. Buddha in an all-terrain vehicle. Buddha reincarnated as, uh, uh, reincarnated as a meat stick at a summer arts festival. I will not eat green eggs and Buddha. Buddha, 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 Buddha. You can't piss off Buddha. You can't piss off Buddha. Buddha in a box. Buddha impersonators. Buddha sightings at the grocery store in South America at a trailer park in New Jersey. The 90-day Buddha diet. Put your hands on the television and touch the Buddha's belly. Spread the love, brother Buddhas. Spread the love. Pretentious Eddie Vedder grunge Buddhas. Marilyn Manson shock rock Buddhas. Buddha getting naked for Howard Stern Buddha. Almond brother redneck southern country fried fat back and grits racist Buddhas. Shit kicking line dancing Buddhas. Buddha standing on the street corner asking for change. Buddhas rehab Buddha. Drag Buddha. Gay Buddha. Straight Buddha. Curious Buddha. Hip-hop Buddha, techno Buddha, top 40 Buddha, alternative Buddha, classic booty show tune Buddha, funk Buddha, Buddha and Pamela Anderson videos Buddha, can't stop the Buddha Buddhas. Did I fail to mention Buddha never asked you to die for him, and he doesn't intend to return the favor. Ten laughing Buddhas, I keep them all in a row. Pray to my Buddhas, they never say no. I can convert. All right, judges.
7.8? That's what it says. 8.5, 9.5, and a 9.5. And a 10. Don't forget the 10. Sorry, Chris. Okay, and she takes out the highs, she takes out the low. And we get a 27.5, the highest scores so far in this round. All right, the stage beckons. Miss Beth Bulmer, come on up. Outside Memphis, tarnished suspension rails lean like rusty roller coaster tracks. Reminds me of the silver, rivet-studded Tycho Bridge and Castle set each time we cross the Mississippi in and out of Arkansas like a jack-in-the-box. He points to the pyramid on the Memphis skyline and says, I don't like crossing these bridges. Shingled sharecroppers' shacks on Highway 64, blankets tacked over doorways, their rigid tin roofs patched with black tile, thin wood, and plastic thatched carpet, knee-deep in peanut fields and unplucked cotton, broken semi-trucks and busted glass cloaked in dust of the ex-gas station, school bus graveyard, combine junkyard, scrap metal farm tools left to rot, buildings nailed shut or padlocked. People lived in this landfill, moving through these streets in slow motion. No rush to get there, they've been nowhere before. Across the road, a wooden wall has burst a splinter bouquet into full bloom in full view of the floorboards. Aluminum-rimmed hollow homes stand on crooked legs. Bony window panes and hand-painted weather-faded signs run through by the coal train. 72 stalled cars. He sees Aunt Sill's house, her typical peeled pickets, fat, scabby ankles and eyes, the shade of faded denim, worn to the skin and frayed, streaked with bare white threads, said she'd stay in that house till God himself crunched it down on her head. Uncle Russell still works the fields, his hands like amber hinges, bent and bleeding rust in the wheat-colored creases. This town is built on low ground. These lives, this country caving down around the antique trash heaps that have somehow survived. We'll build over these people in 20 years. You and I will pretend they never existed with their dirt floors and their clay roads and every other building, a church, a vinyl banner declaring, Christ lives here. No harm here. Nothing broken here. But I hear no choir. I see no saints. <laughs> All right. Judges, we got an 8.7, an 8.0. An 8.9, a 9.2, and a 9 and 3 quarters? What's a 9 and 3 quarters? A 9 point? What is it? A 9.7. Or 9 point, yeah. It's a 9.8. We'll throw it out. Fine. Okay, okay. We encourage decimal points so you don't confuse the stupid host. 
Okay. What do we got? <laughs> Calculators and poets, man. <laughs> oh. Oh. We use all this technical equipment and shit. We don't know how it works. Just 26.8. 26.8 for Beth. <laughs> all right. And next onto the stage, we have Mr. Philip Miller. A rant for the girl who asked me to write. I dance. Naked, still, and alone in the stance of the assumed position against the shower's tile, dripping with the universal solvent and wishing it was washing out the toxin of spirit that fills my brain like the city street grime fills my pores, and rinsed clean together, they would both evaporate with the still chill air of glass block window vents flowing or simply drain. Taking the pain that alters my brain and, and makes it inside out with knowledge of gloom like Okay, judges. One, two, three, four. All right, we have an 8.6. Ooh, a 9.0, a 9.5, a 9.6, and a 9.8. All right. Here is Reggie's chat book. We've only got about five more of them left because I just bought one. Four more left. And I'm sure he would gladly sign. Yep, he would gladly sign sign one for you. And they're seven dollars, seven dollars a piece. Okay, seven dollars a piece. And uh, go grab one quick before they're gone. A twenty-eight point one for Philip. All right. Next up, we have Stephen. Come on up, Stephen. Are you grumpy in the morning when little things go wrong? Do you let love out in dribbles and seldom sing along? Do you replay past offenses in your heart that's growing cold, spitting little shafts of anger, wasting life and growing old? Forgive and you'll be happy. You are really made of love. You're a never-ending source. Push it out. Just give a shove. Let down all defenses. Cast off all your fear. Live only in the moment. Hold everybody dear. Don't grumble at your spouse, flirt and dance instead. Smile and hug and kiss and tumble into bed. All of life is trivial except the love you spread around. It's the only thing important, so get busy, knuckle down. All right, hell yeah. All right, judges. You're not going to like this. <laughs> All right, we got a 6.5 out of John. Who's helping you to your cars tonight, huh? 7.9, 8.3, 8.5, and an 8.9. All right. Yeah, give it up for Stephen. To my knowledge, have you been here before? Stephen, have you been down here before? This is your first time down here, and you got up and slammed? That's awesome. Come on, guys. 
All right. A 24.7 for Steven. All right. All right. And our next poet up. The last poet of the first round is Drac. Come on up, Drac. So I hear I'm arrogant. <laughs> A bit of casual gossip, yet it sticks in my craw. For I'd always thought that arrogance assumed a big ego, a strapping, healthy, bull ego. So how come I have trouble believing that anything I say or do is ever good enough? I've managed to fight my way up to okay. Sometimes it's even good. Yet the voice in my head deflects every compliment while focusing on my faults. Some alien bestride my frontal lobes that catches every negative, hugs it, sucks out the black blood, and saves all the bones and shells. Is it arrogant to still harbor a child mind that wants to share what I've learned? Is it arrogant to offer up constructive criticism so that others only have to repeat my myriad mistakes if they really want to? Is it arrogant to keep writing even though I've not yet made a professional sale? Or even though I don't have a degree? Why does it always feel like there are so many people doing everything I've ever tried so much better than I can? In short, if I'm so arrogant, where the hell is my self-confidence? Why is my main emotion before, during, and after every performance fear? I give myself pep talks. I tell myself I can do this and do it well. Yet I'm still always amazed if I don't totally fuck it up. <laughs> I fear to speak what I feel is true, and I fear the fallout because you really can't please everybody, and some of us have trouble pleasing anybody. I fear that I will succumb to the allure of bullshit and write for effect rather than from the heart. I fear more than any of these to keep silent and hold in anger. For I've known the cost of that. Please, you gossips, get it right. A-N-G-E-R is not pronounced arrogance. I'll cop to the one. Clouds of frustration over oceans of anger, fed by mighty rivers of glowing bile. Is it my sarcasm that seems arrogant? Forgive me. It's the best safety valve I've ever found. Of course, it might be fun to be truly arrogant for a change then maybe I'd believe that I was brilliant and attractive. Maybe I could call everyone who disagreed with me an asshole and mean it, instead of feeling like an asshole myself. Insecure, angry, yeah, though I try to work it out, but arrogant? I'll tell you what's arrogant. Arrogance is believing that the artistic ideals you worship are so unquestionably superior that they will never again be equaled let alone exceeded. Arrogance is stating in a confident voice that slam poetry isn't really poetry, but that beat poetry is. <laughs> Arrogance is warping young artists to mimic your philosophy before giving them the rubber stamp of approval. Arrogance is calling a bit of free verse a sonnet when the closest it's ever come to 14 lines of iambic pentameter in any language was to bookmark one of Shakespeare's plays. Arrogance is calling someone unread because they haven't read the books which you think they should have. And when unseen literary stamp arrogant on my forehead, 
It doesn't mean I'll suddenly think I'm better than they are. It will just piss me off. <laughs> Ask any scorpion. The virulence of one's venom depends largely on what one is forced to eat. Lastly, to my silent critics, I know I'm only a bug, for I've scuttled around the feet of giants. I'm sure that if you chose to, you could smash me flat. But speaking of arrogance, when you come to do it, don't wear sandals. All right. Walking down to Aaron's tonight from the train station for the before party. Watching Kalamazoo go by on the streets. And looking at the traffic signs and stopping at the intersections. I'm starting to feel like we must be trying to sell something. Because I'm thinking that we're standing at some sort of a crossroads, the species crossroads maybe, on the really big street corner. And we're looking at the don't walk red hand sign. Waiting for the walking man, looking at the red hand, seeking a messiah with a new plan to follow his work forward into present reality, demands to know who will continue to work. The red hand is gone, and the walking man walks on. He walked past the summer of love as a 10-year displaced jive boy, lost in the dust of a rural poor childhood, lost in the dust of a five-sibling follow-the-model-leader-life-is-church, lost in the dust of mom. She say... That boy's a runaway I gotta go look for. Weaned on the asparagus, green bean, and potato rural roads, greened on the small city, industrial, THC, ghetto streets, hardened on the big city, back alley, junk man sidewalks, and released on the just down the dune day job trails to the spirit of the lake. He walked past the only in it for the party, too young to be consciousness raising hippie high schoolers. He walked past Richard Nixon, Jimmy Carter, Reagan Bush, and all that. Bill walked out of the ashes of three-minute classroom silence for M.L. King and Malcolm, JFK and his brother. Walked past a media that never knew who Malcolm was. He walked past the Bay of Pigs in the dock of the bay, the wink of a girl and a roll in the hay, the million-man march in white shirts with stars, the sensitive times, and all these damn rhymes. He walked past the beamers, the screamers, the trippers, the daydreamers, the fiscal and the farcical, the monkeys and the marsupials, the fake house, the freaks, and the facials. He walked past leisure suits and bell-bottom knits, ultra suede and crushed velvet, black velvet, paintings of Elvis on velvet, and the velvet underground. He walked past funk and punk, discos and demos, new wave and old school, the cool school, and the new fool on the hill. He walked past post-early warning signs of a new millennium, looking for no meaning out of an arbitrary matrix of mathematics to define the experience of killing a time that is internally dying already, eternally human-conscious heavy. He walked past societal convictions and standard conventions, comedic depictions of macabre reflections, intelligent mind-numbing profane intentions, indicate the civilized obvious society's gone to hell in a handbasket with no fucking clue they enjoyed the ride. He walked past the Bible Buddha, Dow and Darwin. He walked past Descartes, Camus, Kant, and Kerouac. He walked past the Beatles, the Kinks, the King, and you too. He walked past the frills and the trills and all of the twirls, walked up to the ninth girl, saw in her eyes the range of heroes that he might ever be, and said, please, may I kiss you? He walked the walk. He walked the beat. 
He walked the walk past the feet to keep his spirit neat, found a treat to eat, left the meat, sailed twice on Wellfleet, walked his ass into this bar, pulled a seat, kicked his feet, lied that life is sweet, and said, when I'm gone, sprinkle my ashes over the peat where I can feel the heat and feed the wheat and become the walking man. Walking past the red hand, walking out of the ashes at a man's plan, walking into present reality, demands to know who will continue to be the walking man. All right. I just finished this an hour ago, so it might suck. I don't know. That's the beauty of it. That's the beauty. Okay. This is called The Replacement Poets. The replacement poets are poised like ninja mannequins, launching from used bookstore display windows, clicking off the seismic activity of all you east side ass-slapping backsliders, scarfing down the usual pâté de foie. And they have had it up to their gills with variations on junior high incarnations of Burroughs, Ginsburg, and Bukowski, slip-sliding their jiggy tongues to the warped vinyl scratchings of an overplayed platinum triple set. The replacement poets are invading your specially diva supermall coliseums, their paws stuffed with credit applications and insulated Starbucks coffee mugs full to the brim with boiling irony. They're sporting skateboards and portable paperback infernos as they surf Dante into the lower levels, scanning the souls of the dispossessed management class lurking behind counters, carefully crating, cradling their $50,000 diplomas and praying to a god they barely remember to make it through the next 10 years of indentured servitude. And nothing will stop the replacement poets from stripping down and showing a little skin when necessity pushes them to flame an envelope that never carried an invitation for our dangerous brand of social rhetoric and necrophilia. Listen, you fine young cannibals. We have been raised with a living dead. We have gummed the crumbs from the seat of the scornful. We have been hog-tied and dragged down this grateful fish phony express. We are wind-blown dust without our day in court, while entertainment tonight plays one more prostate-pumping tribute to John Lennon. And the replacement poets know that these are not our heroes, but rather itchy icons that have been foisted upon us, praying we never rise above their planned community's mutual level of mediocrity to create heroes of our own. Because this time the replacement poets are angry young women rallying for an estrogen-rich feminism. Spanky hot poet bitches shaking their laughing tatas at your predictable six-inch shock-ons. Thigh-locking young gay professionals and fag-hag posers extorting their Babylon revisited, exploiting an overpriced unisex strap-on status to void the benefit of culture or taste. Now the replacement poets are logging on to their finest hour, pumping out a new paradigm and enough hubris to bury the long line of walking wounded that have played us for marionettes until in a final act we are sowing our fields with dragon's teeth, invoking an army of undead to erupt from the mud these gogs and magogs of duplicity armed with angry haiku and a contempt for prime time's legions of stereotypes, rewriting history into a Bogosian monologue ripped on epidrine, plotting the future through a wormhole in your sorry space-time to be continued continuum, pissing on the prime directive, a horde of Bonnie and Clydes and Jesse James on PCP, kicking down the swinging saloon doors of academic impotence. Now the replacement poets are squatting like cats on hot tin roofs, yowling for that long hot summer. There are barns for the burning and rich men's daughters to be taken and the lynch mob will be storming the plantation looking for niggers to be hanging and you are that nigger boy. 
You are that great excuse for war and empty promises and the vaca sterility that is this age. You are the minimum wage Clydesdale that will haul their fat asses into the new millennium. You are this generation's nigger. You are Langston Hughes trapped in a cracker's body. You are the final restitution of Martin Luther's assassination. You're a 25-year-old X-file dusted off and crying to be broken. And let me tell you, brother, this time you better fight like hell. This was one of the better slams I've seen. Everybody was just like so damn good. Um, my voice is just about trash, as everybody would probably know. In Chicago, if you ever make it there, on the corner of Michigan and Pearson, on the corner of Michigan and Pearson, <clears throat> there's a Borders bookstore. You will see uh, a gentleman playing a violin. Uh, my daughter, Jamila, and I, uh, I frequent that bookstore. And every time I walk past this cat, he was playing the same refrain. Now, as an artist and as a human being, when you really hear the same thing playing over and over and over to you again, you're supposed to do something about that. Uh, <coughs> walked up to him and had a conversation with him and found out some details of his life, which were quite similar to some details in my life about women who we've loved, and then my mind did this sort of intertextuality thing where a friend of mine, I remembered her, she's speaking about her grandfather who had come from someplace in the Mediterranean basin, and um, the things that happened with her grandmother and him. And this is a piece based upon that refrain. My daughter and I, we were I couldn't believe that people were walking past this guy. You know, I mean, here it is, <coughs> this gentleman in the middle of one of the busiest corners and one of the busiest corners in the busiest country in the world. And he's weaving with this little instrument of wood and string, a beautiful, beautiful tapestry of, of song in the midst of all of this concrete and glass and steel and nobody's paying him any attention, you know. Um, but I heard him. It's called Rosita May. Forgive my voice. <coughs> Rosita May. Rosita May, each day I play my violin as though it's you I'm kissing, for in the music of its strings, your voice is also oh near, these people pass me every day, not knowing that their souls are missing. They nod their heads, they drop their coins, they do not hear. Rosita May. These people here are dead. They know nothing of love. Each day, I watch them as they drag their soulless corpses up and down these lifeless avenues, looking to the cracks in the sidewalk, seeking a reason for their existence, or staring to the tops of their buildings, seeking a reason to live. Not one of them can bear to look at me. I remind them of what they have never known. 
The men in this country know nothing of the raven which comes to rest in a woman's eyes once you have loved her body as the water loves the moon. Or of watching her skin blossom like a night flower and drink the silent sun's reflection. No woman here has ever kissed away the crumbs of bread and fish from her lover's sweaty mouth or licked the salt from his fingers after he has worked all day for her in the fields. Oh, how I pity them all. Each day I come and I play my violin and these people in their ignorance think I play only for their money. In their blindness they cannot see that I play for you Rosita. I play to honor and to mourn the memory that is love and as I play I pray that our song will travel to the sky, weave itself into a cloud of your image and rain upon these pitiful creatures so this world will know love again. My hands must bleed the sound of your last summer. My fingers need to sing your soul's last sigh. For you are here within my heart, a ceaseless thunder. Rosita May, why did you have to die? Rosita May. So long has it been since the sickness has claimed you, my apple, and I have never allowed myself to love another. Even as you held my hand, that night you slipped into sleep, making me promise to love again. Even then I knew that I could not. But hearing those words were the only way you could go how funny is it the only lie I have ever told to anyone I have told to you the only woman I can ever love yes I expect I will be hearing all about it from you one day soon but when you left my apple I believed that all the world's love left with you, that no one could ever love again, not like you and I, and I cursed God with this toothless mouth, and I have not been able to forgive him until lately. There has been one who comes often to hear me. He is a black man. He brings with him a little girl. She is the color of our wedding bread. Usually, he says nothing. He just stands there holding her hand or writing in this black book he carries with him. This lasts sometimes an hour, maybe longer. Then he just leaves, just like that. Not a word, not a nod, not even a coin. He just walks away. But today, when he came, we spoke. And even though my English is still not so good, I think I understood him. He tells me he is a poet, Rosita, a poet. Do you believe that? A poet? Yes, yes. I know, Mansana. If you were here, you would tell me all about how easily fooled I am, all about how the people in this country are often not what they claim they are, and I know this is true. But he opened this book and showed me what he was writing, what he has been writing all along. It is a poem about us, Rosita, about us. He tells me that he is putting words to our song. And I think to myself, what could a man like him, what could a man so young know about love and loss? But I look into his eyes and there is a secret. No, there is a truth. A truth which tells me that he has no love and loss before Rosita. I wanted to talk more, but he put his book away, pointed to the sky and said, I've got to go. It looks like rain. I looked upwards and replied, yes. 
I think finally it will rain. Rosita, perhaps there is hope for these people yet. Your cloud is here. My time is near to go into the twilight. It's time to fade into that dream, which also brings the rain. And when the angels ask me my reason for living, the only word that I will sigh will be your holy name, Rosita May. Rosita May, Rosita May, Rosita May. Thank you. Wow. Give it up for Reggie Gibson. <laughs> Woo! All right. Thank you guys for a great fucking year. It's been awesome. We got two more shows this year, and then we start out the millennium, and hopefully it'll be just as great as this one. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a great night.